I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Prader-Willi syndrome is a rare genetic disease that's characterized in part by hyperphagia, an intense and insatiable hunger. People with the condition are driven to constantly eat and seek out food. The syndrome is associated with severe obesity and obesity-related mortality. Tonics Pharmaceuticals is developing an experimental oxytocin nasal spray to treat hyperphagia in people with Prader-Willi. The approach to date has shown promise in animal models. We spoke to Seth Lederman, CEO of Tonics, about Prader-Willi syndrome, the unmet need for treatments, and why he believes an oxytocin nasal spray has potential to treat the condition. Seth, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on. We're going to talk about Prader-Willi syndrome, tonics, and its experimental therapy to treat the rare disorder. For listeners not familiar with Prader-Willi, what is it? Well, it's a genetic disease, and um, it is characterized early on by failure to thrive. And later on, it's characterized by obesity and overeating. And the medical term for overeating is hyperphagia. But it's uh, the most common syndromal cause of obesity. And there's no cure and there's no treatment for the hyperphagia syndrome. I know many people think of the condition in terms of the hyperphagia, but it's a far more complex condition than that. How does it manifest itself and progress? Well, there are several phases. Um, what, from the nutritional point of view, people usually refer to four phases, where four phase zero is low birth weight, phase one, which is you know infancy, is um, you know failure to thrive, difficulties in feeding and sucking sucking and uh, low tone. There's a decreased um, growth. And, um, and then, then phase two starts, which is from about two to four and a half years old, where weight begins to increase without the characteristic appetite increase. And uh, then if the child is allowed to eat what, what they want, obesity occurs. And in phase three is the hallmark um, hyperphagia, which I said is this overeating and life-threatening obesity. And phase four is adulthood, which is uh, usually returned, usually marked by a return to uh, normal appetite. What are the long-term health effects of the condition? Well, uh, early mortality is common. The average death rate is just under 30 years. 
So it's not a benign condition. Are there other other issues that people with the condition face beyond early mortality? Yeah, as I said, but I think obesity is is one of the um, you know is one of the biggest problems. And in terms of treatment options, you say there's none available today. Um, correct. Um, there is um, growth hormone is approved uh, for treating uh, Prader Willi because, as I mentioned, one of the um, you know one of the aspects of it is. Um, you know, uh, decreased growth, but you know, that does not address the, um, hyperphagia issue. And what are people with the condition told in terms of how to treat it at this point? Well, there's, there are, you know, really great, um, advocacy organizations that have, uh, sprung up, um, uh, and, and there's a lot of information online. Parents are usually very involved. Interestingly, um, most of the cases, uh, more than half, like 65%, are due to new um, uh, genetic um, changes. So it's, it's, it's more commonly a new mutation and not something that these families are used to dealing with. So for, you know, for, you know, Two-thirds of people, this just comes out of the blue. This is a condition that can affect quality life in a significant way. What do you hear from patients and their families about the impact it has on their daily lives and, and the need for treatments? Oh, well, the, I mean, this, this affects all aspects of the uh, life of the affected people and uh you know, also in, requires a huge amount of involvement from the parents. Um, you know, I have to say that uh, in my interactions with, um, you know, parents and the advocacy groups, I am always speaking to parents who are extremely involved. So I, you know, I, I imagine that that's not always the case. But in, in the cases, you know, of people who are involved in advocacy in these groups, uh, the, the, you know, parents are really heroic and involved, you know, in every aspect of the kids' lives and, and young adults. Well, I'm wondering if you can expand on that. You know, people, I think, often just think of this condition as, you know, these, these children are overweight. But um, it, it strikes me that, there's a lot these families deal with all through the day as a result. Yes. I mean, for the unchecked overeating, I mean, it's, it's a situation, you know, among other things where, uh, you know, restricting food is extremely difficult because of the incredible drive that the affected uh, individuals have in seeking food. So you know, literally locking the refrigerator and, you know, and, you know, to some extent, you know, standoffs about eating. This is a, a genetic condition, as you mentioned. How well understood is the underlying biology? That's an excellent point. I mean, a lot is known about the, uh, you know, deletion on you know, chromosome 15. 
and um, there are some complexities of it, but, but I think the genetics are extremely well known, but there's some things that are not well known. So for example, the treatment that we're developing is an intranasal form. Intranasal means uh, you know, administered into the nose, sprayed into the nose, an intranasal form of oxytocin. And um, it is not really understood why oxytocin is so effective. And um, it's when I say effective, it's effective in animal models um, where where uh, people have made um, mice with you know a similar genetic problem to the humans. And in those cases, when oxytocin can be administered, uh, you know, systemically early on, oxytocin almost normalizes the mice. So it really has a profound effect in, in mice with this genetic mutation. In humans, that has been less well studied. Um, uh, but, you know, treating infants, you know, is a good idea, but it's a very... It's a, it takes a long time to study this. There are groups in Europe who have studied it. Uh, but what we're doing is we're focusing on, uh, you know, adolescents and young adults and using intranasal oxytocin, well, testing intranasal oxytocin to see whether it can control the hyperphagia. I suspect if, if listeners have heard of oxytocin, it's in the context of childbirth, what role does oxytocin have in, in our daily biology, if any? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking about that. So synthetic oxytocin has been used to induce labor for over 65 years. And uh, the trade name that's, I think, well known to mothers is Pitocin. And uh, as I understand it, something like 70% of births in the United States these days involve Pitocin. And that, that, the reason it's so high is that uh, many women now uh, choose to, or with, you know, under consultation with their doctors, for one reason or another, choose to uh, be induced and, you know, sometimes because they want to plan their pregnancy or other times because, um, you know, I, I suppose labor doesn't progress. But anyway, it's commonly used in labor. Uh, it is less commonly used for other indications. But uh, we believe, and there's some preliminary data to indicate that um, intranasal oxytocin uh, could be effective in this way. But let, let me back up and say... Um, there had been an intranasal oxytocin product available in the United States called Syntocinon. And it was a Novartis product and uh, had the indication for in, uh, stimulating breast milk in feeding mother, in breastfeeding mothers, nursing mothers. So um, that was on the market for a number of years. It, it was uh, withdrawn by Novartis in the United States because they declined to update the regulatory filings, but it is still available uh, with that indication in Europe and many other parts of the world. So there has been an oxytocin used in the United States for different indication. And uh, what we've done 
is made a new formulation of that, but we've also added uh, magnesium that we believe potentiates the activity of oxytocin. So that's why we think that ours would be superior, even if if intranasal oxytocin was available in the United States, which it's not, um, we think our potentiated oxytocin um, has advantages. What was the case for using oxytocin? How did that connection get made to Prader Willi? Um, I think it was the um, work of uh, European scientists. Um, Francoise Muscatelli is uh, someone who we collaborate with and uh, from whom we've licensed a patent to use oxytocin to treat Prater Willie. Um, and uh, she works in um, Marseille, France. And she's collaborated with a pediatrician and with a network of, of, of people in France. She, she is a PhD scientist and she's the one who's done this seminal work on treating the uh, knockout mice that are, you know, so-called Prater Willie mice. But she's collaborated with um, a, a noted pediatrician and, and with, a, with a group uh, to show that um, treatment of infants with intranasal oxytocin has benefits. Now, that is a different indication than we are currently seeking. We are seeking the indication to treat adolescents and young adults and to address the hyperphagia problem. And what's the case for using intranasal delivery? This is a, a substance that could be delivered in many different ways, I imagine. Yes. We, uh, I, I'm the CEO of a company called Tonix, and we bought this technology from a professor at Stanford University who had spun out a company and was working on intranasal oxytocin for the treatment of headache and craniofacial pain. So we do have a program in headache. We plan to have a program in craniofacial pain, but it was really because we were working on oxytocin with um, this professor after buying the technology that uh, we learned about the research done by Professor Muscatelli and, and others about intranasal oxytocin. So, you know, the nose is very close to the brain, obviously, and, you know, particularly if you deliver a drug intranasally and it goes to the back of the nose, it's very close to the brain. But um, in migraine, a lot of headache pathology is centered around what are called the trigeminal ganglia. And the trigeminal ganglia are outside of the central nervous system but they are also very close to the nose. They're basically behind the cheekbones. And um, what Professor Yeomans realized was that uh, using this drug intranasally delivered oxytocin into uh, or to the trigeminal ganglia, which is what's believed to have the important effects in migraine headache. So um, uh, Prater really is a little bit different where we believe that in order to be effective, it has to get into the brain. 
but oxytocin is a relatively small peptide and there are certain peptides that are able to get from the nose to the brain. Is there any additional benefit in not having to have give someone with hyperphagia uh, something orally? That's an excellent point. Um, but oxytocin orally isn't really an, um, one of the options. The options would really be, you know, intravenous, which is how it's used to induce labor, or um, you know, potentially intramuscular or you know, intranasal. But but since oxytocin is a peptide, um, it's not likely to survive being swallowed. So you know, if it could be delivered by being swallowed, it's potential. It's potentially an interesting way. But I think that what we're doing, you know, one of the one of the challenges of developing any drug is to get the drug to the place where it's supposed to work. And um, giving it intravenously is kind of brute force. I mean, that's going all over the body. But we believe that since the Prader-Willi eating problem is a problem in the brain, that delivering it in the nose and to the extent it gets taken up into the brain, you know, because the nose is so close to the brain, um, we think is a better, you know, a better approach. And what's known about the experimental therapy from studies you've done so far? We have not done studies. Um, in humans so far. We are preparing our regulatory filings and we expect to begin, um, you know, a study when the regulatory filings are accepted. Uh, the, the work on oxytocin without our magnesium potentiation has been published, but that's, that's really on infants. So uh, we, you know, we're really basing our work on, on the work of the animals, the animal studies, and on the analogy that oxytocin has such a profound effect on infants. Now, it's it's a little bit complex because in infants, uh, the eating uh, problem is often in the other direction that they have problems sucking and and don't eat enough. But we believe from the knockout mouse and what else is known about the biology or the pathology of Prader-Willi, we think that oxytocin will correct Prader-Willi, whether it's early on and the, the symptom is not eating enough or late on when the symptom is overeating. The company announced a pipeline reprioritization in April. Does this have any impact on the Prader-Willi program? No, the, the, thank you for noticing that. The Prouder Willie program is still one of our high priority programs. And the reprioritization mostly had to do with COVID programs, uh, particularly COVID antibody treatments. They are very important uh, still for immunocompromised patients. But unfortunately, we just didn't find... Um, uh, interest in, you know, in from investors or from the government in terms of funding, you know, the the development of those programs. But I think it, it, I think it would be the opposite that that prioritization 
announcement uh, emphasized that we are going to concentrate resources on our high priority programs like Prouder Willie. And what's the development path forward from here? Uh, we haven't uh, disclosed much in way of timelines, but we're actively working on seeking approval to study the drug in humans from the U.S. FDA. Any guess whether you'll be in the clinic this year or will it be the next year? Um, you know, we, we don't guide to that. And, you know, as a public company, guidance is um, – you know, is carefully monitored. So I guess I don't want to comment about uh, projecting okay. those events. Seth Lederman, co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Tonics Pharmaceuticals. Seth, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. This is a very interesting uh, interview, and I appreciate the preparation and the excellent questions you asked, Andy. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.